0: Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the NOLCast of Going to kind of change it up here, Bud, where we're just going to do one uh, large defensive preview. We'll split this up into three different pieces, but uh, the days of kind of two tackles, two ends, three linebackers, and four members of the clearly defined secondary are are gone and as such it's not quite as easy as, as looking at the different uh, layers or position groups when it comes to defense so we're just going to kind of have a broad conversation about the different aspects different pieces of the roster and uh, see where this goes hopefully this is a little bit of a unique way of uh, looking at the defense and gives you guys as good of an idea as to what florida state has on this roster
1: absolutely so we were kicking this idea around beforehand and i was like, well. How do we classify this guy, and and how do we classify this guy? And, and I feel like if you put him in in one classification as opposed to a bit of a mix, it, it can be kind of tough. Any conversation probably has to start with uh, with us asking the question, why the three four defense? And, and I think that's that's an important question to ask. And the answer will will become pretty clear as we go through these these positions. But if you just take a broad overview, uh, what what's your personnel like? at uh in the secondary pretty good right what's your personnel like at linebacker almost exactly the same as it was last year so extremely extremely limited changes in the back end as far as who's available to play you didn't have a whole lot of graduation you didn't didn't really lose anybody important uh but up front you, you did lose somebody who was very important and and that was brian burns and importantly you don't really have anybody on the edge who you trust to give you a pass rush. And last year, even with Brian Burns, Florida State was only 73rd in the nation in sack rate on defense, which is not that good. Now, granted, they didn't have to lead very often last year, and so teams oftentimes did not really have to pass and were not in in negative leverage situations for an offense or or positive leverage situations for a defense. But you can call this desperation. Uh, You can also call it foresight. The answer is probably forced foresight, right? Like they knew this. They made the change in the spring to the 3 4. They can call it multiple front defense, and they won't. They're not wrong in saying that. Um, how they play coverage is not going to change that much. But this is primarily, in my opinion, a move because they know they need to be able to pressure the quarterback at least as well as they did last year, which was not great. It wasn't like the worst in the nation or anything. 73rd is, I mean, there's. 130 teams in college football and, and if you're getting blown out as much as florida state was i don't think 73rd is that bad but i think if you had ran out the same defense as far as you're, you're running your 4-3 or 4-2-5 as you did last year with this group i would expect the pass rush to take a huge drop off right a really really bad drop off and, and i think if you had just run this group out as just a straight straight 4-3 uh you would probably have have a hard time being an upper half of the of the ACC pass rush, right? And so I, I do give the staff credit for recognizing this early and saying, well, we have to find different ways to get pressure on guys, and that's going to mean bringing blitzes from, from all over and trying to confuse – it's going to be a little more – instead of just beat the guy in front of you, it's going to be a little more try to confuse them, try to make the quarterback hold the ball and think a little bit more Maybe, maybe not know where the blitzes are coming from, some man blitzes, some zone blitzes, but I do think you'll see more blitzing this year uh, and, and from a greater variety of players simply because you don't have Brian Burns, and he was your pass rush last year, and we knew they didn't have anybody on the roster like Brian Burns. And so I think that that's that's one aspect of it, kind of that forced foresight, and, and they did have it, and they've been repping it a lot. Now, the other thing I like about this is that you are going to get your – your three best big linemen up front on the field. Now, to me, this is pretty good complementary football. If you're running a Kendall Browles offense, what do you want? You want the ball a lot. You want to have 15, 16, hell, 17 possessions in a ball game. You want the ball back a lot. What you don't want is for the opposing offense to hold the football. I don't think you're actually that concerned holistically here about points within reason as long as those points by the opponent are scored quickly and they're offset some by some turnovers and some quick three and outs and stops to get your offense the ball back because nobody is going to be comfortable playing it at, at, at your tempo at least not what we've seen from Brawls as we went over in the offensive episode his adjusted pace metric the last four years first first second and fourth right nobody's faster if this Florida State offense works they're going to be one of the five or six fastest in the nation, assuming all goes well, which is a risky assumption, quite obviously, with that offensive line and and maybe not being in love with the quarterbacks. But I do think having your big guys out there um, is going to make it more difficult for teams to run the football in Florida State, and it's hard to go on long, sustained drives if you can't run the football. So I think that there are two main objectives here. Number one, force opponents to take risks against you, which will could result in some big scores. But also reduce the chance of, of of opponents holding the football against you. And number two is is quite clearly to uh, to get more pass rush or to at least try to get the same amount of pass rush you had last year. it, I mean, do you agree with me on that? Like, if they didn't make any changes, this pass rush drop off would
0: have been pretty pretty drastic. Yeah, very drastic. I mean, be relying on guys who have a, a lot of nice high school accolades and have never really showed a, a skill set to pair with those and uh, i'm not saying like you're moving to this because of jonathan Doe by any means but you just don't have an emergence of anybody else that would play on the edge and give you any kind of pass rush so uh i think what you called it a uh forced foresight is is particularly accurate i i will acknowledge i'd I think there's some risk here, and, and the fact that you do have your three best on you, the field is nice. There's such a drop to the next uh, caliber or level of players that um, you're not going to be able to get a real good rotation throughout the course of a game. Uh, if you have injuries, it's going to uh, present themselves maybe in an even more immediate fashion. So um, there's there's certainly some strengths to this, and I like the ideas and I an absolute believer in that. You've got to be more, um, you've got to be kind of more multiple in the ways that you can create pressure and attack a defense. Uh, but there's there's some downside here, and then there's a whole other broader conversation that we'll have at some point, I imagine, where this whole conversation that we're having with a three four is great if Florida State's only played five or six games this year. Uh, it, the back half is. Not going to be something there's there's a very clear point of delineation as to how much of this base set we may see. And then when you're going to have to almost completely scrap it and and not run any type of personnel package uh, that that is similar to what we've talked about. So uh, a long winded conversation about what the idea or broader ideas as to why they made this change.
1: So think about this real quick. Right. Last year, they ran the four three. How much four three did they run against Clemson? How much 4-3 did they run against Syracuse or against Florida? Right, You see what I'm saying here? Like, How much 4-3 did you run against Wake Forest? This is just their base against more pro-style sets, which not a lot of teams run anymore. For instance, first month of the year, I think you're going to see a lot of 3-4 defense. I think that's why they're repping it so much in practice, right? Boise is not a team that anymore that is just four wide spread it out. Virginia, certainly not really much of a four-wide team. Louisville generally uses a tight end with of that offense. Sometimes they use a little sniffer. We don't know what NC State's going to look like, but I just named you the whole month of September plus the Labor Day game to where you're probably going to see a whole lot of 3-4. And in October, uh, if you were a 3-4 coach, you might as well just just like take a month-long vacation, man. Because Clemson, Wake, Syracuse – you're not going to run 3-4 against those teams, but but for a small handful of snaps. You may run more 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 3-4 in one drive in, in September than you run in the entire month of October. Those teams are going to spread you out like crazy. You're going to be running your your nickel stuff and your dime stuff against those teams. Even with the desire to make them pass and, and not let them run the football on you, you you're not going to run this 3-4 package against four wide. I, I don't think. And I know from talking to you, you don't think either. And then to finish the year, we really don't know. Okay. Yeah. You'll play it against Boston college. You could probably play with 10 men and beat Alabama state. That's not really an issue. They're uh they're pretty bad FCS team. It looks like from some of the metrics here. I have not done a deep dive on Alabama state yet. I don't, we really don't know what Miami's going to look like. Heck what they look like in their opening game may not end up being what they run, you know, by, by game nine, when they come in to play Florida state. So you're exactly right. It is going to change a lot over the course of the season with how much they run a three-four or don't, simply because of what opposing offenses are, are going to present to you in terms of their uh, um, in, in terms of their alignment and their scheme. And so, Florida State will technically be multiple. They just not, may not be that multiple in all of their games. Some of their games, they might end up running a lot of three-four or not a lot of three-four.
0: Louisiana Hot Sauce Bud, four years of us being able to brag on a fantastic product, great partner for us, Uh, something that I use damn near every day, if not multiple times a day. Just want to thank them. This is our fourth season of working with them. Like I mentioned, fourth season of position previews and everything else that we do. Hats off to the people at New Iberia. Thank you again for the opportunity to be able to work with you.
1: I think with that, we probably should... uh, Probably should, should, should... Talk about if this is going to work, how it's going to work, and it's going to start up front.
0: It's going to start up front and start with the part of this. You you feel pretty comfortable with what you have uh, at the first uh, kind of uh, first ring of players here uh, up front. You're as strong really as you are uh, per position group. Uh, Your immediate starters, Marvin Wilson, maybe your best player on the roster. Corey Durden, a guy who very much emerged last year, uh, grew into a role, uh, flashed a lot. And Robert Cooper is a name that people that have followed the program are familiar with. A kid who's uh, reshaped his body, lost a lot of weight, and put himself into a place where he can not just be a part of a rotation, but perhaps start in it. So three really nice pieces to work around. And uh, if everybody stays healthy, a, a very kind of a very, very solid uh, group of three where you where you first look at Florida State's defensive line.
1: Sure. Now let me throw this hypothetical out to you. Do you think if they had quality defensive ends on this team that they would have stayed in a 4-3 and been able to have a three-man rotation at the two tackle spots of Durden, Cooper, Wilson?
0: I absolutely believe that. I, I think that's what they uh, probably would have wanted to do, um, and that this is kind of a like you said it's a it's a forced move, forced foresight. Um, I believe that they would have. Again, I think if uh, if you had the emergence of Kendo and uh, and the kid out of the. the <laughs> Panama City, who's made uh, Robinson. If those two had emerged at the, as the type of recruits that they were, that I absolutely believe you still would. Uh, you may have some wrinkles where you go 3-4, but I don't know that you'd be looking at changing what you do from a base standpoint.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. Um, and each of these guys brings you something different. Skill set-wise, they're they're not the same player, and I think they, they really might comp, complement each other very well. If you wanted the two-gap, which means that that you have a player generally lining up over a player, and he's in charge of the gap, both to his left, both both excuse me, both to his left, and to his right. Uh, you could easily two gap with, with a guy like Robert Cooper in, in the middle, right? He's he's that wide, he's that strong, he's that low. He is difficult to block, assuming he's not gassed. When he's gassed, uh, which he's in better shape now, he, should, he shouldn't be as gassed as often. When, he, when he's gassed, he stands up, and anybody who stands up is pretty easy to block, but. When he's staying down, Cooper's going to be really hard to root out of there for opposing centers, and there's also something to be said for having somebody lining up directly over the center. Now, whether he's a true zero or he's playing more of a one-shade, I think it's going to vary in these games. I don't think Florida State's going to be a true two-gap, three-four team. It doesn't seem to me like they have the personnel to do that. I think they're going to be more of a one-gap, aggressive, shoot-the-gap team. But uh, at the nose-tackle position, Cooper, with the ability to – to, to demand double teams is is going to be really big. And I think what will, will really help them stop the run, um, especially with, with some quick guys behind him at the linebacker position, if you're having chip Robert Cooper, you are going to have situations in which the backers are going to be able to fly into the backfield uh, because those offensive linemen are, are slow to get off their, their double team of Cooper. And yet I don't even know if Cooper's the guy I want to double team here, right? Marvin Wilson, who, if, Assuming he's healthy this year and and is, is going to be good, and he was returned to practice uh, this week, and this is the the week of uh, of eight eighteen, he returned to practice this week and at least limited capacity. We'll see if he's going to be full capacity uh, anytime soon. But he's a guy you probably really have to double team. He was named second team All American, and I don't think that's unjustified. <laughs> Just a, a massive dude who can impact the game in so many ways. He has the length. He has the bulk, the first step quickness again, is assuming he's healthy. I think he plays very hard too, which is good, especially like when he's actually in there. Um, and he's emerged as a leader on this defense last year, just four and a half tackles for loss. I, I, I think it, he'll probably double that this year. Um, three and a half sacks that that could easily go up. One of the better havoc rate, rate guys on the team. And, uh, Marvin Wilson, here's a cool stat for you: when uh, when he made a tackle on a play, the opposition's success rate on that play was just 15.3, which that's probably the kind of a dust. That's like, oh wow, really they uh, they they didn't they didn't have a good play when FSU's starting defensive tackle got 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 a tackle on the play. No no dub, but okay, fair enough. I just thought that was kind of neat. But Wilson is a guy who is is likely to be a I would say an early NFL pick, maybe not first round, but maybe so. It's, it's hard to predict, but certainly somebody who I think we would expect to be gone. And he's kind of the blend or sort of the, the, the middle ground guy, if you will. If Cooper's the real, real big, heavy, wide body, then Wilson is sort of the, the, the middle ground there. And then Corey Durden is a guy who I know we're both really high on. And he's probably the, the lightest and, and the leanest of these three.
0: Yeah, he's a guy who really, uh, you know, to use old Jimbo terminology, will flash at you, will stand out, uh, makes plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, I have some questions as to how much he'll be able to uh, to weather uh, a season and you know transition in from a. Uh, situational reserve to starter is, is a challenge, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does, but uh, a critical player for Florida State to get in this recruitment. They've done a good job of developing him, uh, a guy that uh, it's kind of, kind of his money year here, uh, if you believe the idea of him potentially leaving early, which uh, I tend to put stock in. Uh, I think there's a reason to expect a pretty high level of play from Durden if he can stay healthy.
1: Absolutely. and with, with these three guys, I really do think you have to feel pretty good about replacing some some of the departed with with Demarcus Christmas and, and Fred Jones and and Wally Aime. guys who were somewhere between very good to you know okay players for you last year, I would say Christmas was was pretty good and, and Jones was very underrated. Uh, but with, with these three, you have to feel pretty solid about it at least in my opinion. I think it'd be much more ideal if, if, if you didn't have to start all three of them, if you could actually have just two spots and, and rotate these guys in to keep them fresh, especially if you're going to be playing at an up-tempo pace, which I think you absolutely should do because if you're able to play pace, it can hide some deficiencies in the offensive line, as Kendall Browell spoke about the other day at media day. And, uh, well, <laughs> Florida State certainly has some deficiencies in the offensive line, so I think it does behoove the team to play at, at an aggressive tempo that just you know, there are other parts of the team that have to have to deal with that as well. But uh, unfortunately, they don't have the defensive ends. It doesn't look like to to believe they can run a true 3-4 here. So, Or excuse me, a 4-3. So uh, they're having to start all three of these guys. What do you think about the backups here? This is kind of an interesting discussion that, that we need to have. because I uh, Is there a bigger gap on this team between starter and backup than at, at this position? I mean, lineman like offensive line. We think there's a good gap, but it's kind of from like yeah, maybe a tackle below average to terrible. Yeah, like- a
0: tackle would be the only place where I would. Uh, from from Roberts to whoever is probably behind him is a. Uh, it's the only other thing that immediately springs to mind here. I I don't know, man. I mean, there's some nice pieces here. Maybe in time, uh, two freshmen that pop out at me that maybe I like if they have a a year and a half in the weight room uh, to further develop and a year and a half to take practice. But, yeah, it's it's scary. If you take an injury uh, amongst your front three and somebody here gets forced into into playing, uh, Cedric Wood I feel maybe pessimistic about. Malcolm Lamar, exceptionally pessimistic about uh, True Thompson and Malcolm Ray, both nice players who have ability. I don't know if that ability is something that you want to see right now. Dennis Briggs is a, a kid who's had a little bit of positive buzz about him. We should we should definitely mention him. And Quayshawn Fuller is another freshman with a lot of talent that you know uh, is in place to maybe see some snaps. But also, uh, I think you're legitimately concerned if you. Have Fuller getting routine, uh, you know, not even starter snaps, but uh, reserve snaps immediately as well.
1: Yeah, I think there's a bit of a talent drop off here too. Um, there, there's no, there's no obvious like Marvin Wilson guy who's just a year away from being a stud, right? We, we talked about how Taggart was unable to bring in early in early career difference makers. At least it looks like on the defensive line, he had to settle for a lot of guys who, you know, other elite programs probably wouldn't have taken everybody who he signed. You know, the, the one guy and, and then maybe some of the dudes with, with high upside but low floor have not really developed in anything, at least so far. Now I do like Cedric Wood sticking in it, coming back after that serious injury and and if he can be your top guy off the bench, maybe True Thompson can can spell Robert Cooper some in those games in which they do play the three four and and we should mention when they play their uh their nickel package you're probably not going to see Cooper Wilson Durden on the field at the same time. So those guys will get some breaks in October. And then come November, they'll probably have to ramp it back up again and start playing more all three of them at the same time. But like there's no real obvious, hey, this guy is ready to step up and 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 be a superstar and you know, next year if Durden and Wilson leave, uh, leave that there's Like, like they'll be just fine. I mean, this is one of the areas in which we've criticized Coach Taggart's recruiting is is that he's – look, he's kind of had to throw numbers at the problem because they've not been able to throw stars at the problem, you know. Um, It'd be really nice for them if they could get something out of Malcolm Lamar. I've kind of always thought he should be more of an offensive lineman. If he doesn't get to play this year, I think he should move to offensive line because – and I am saying if he doesn't really, like, get to make an impact this year as one of the top reserves because – Man, it's wide open to be one of the top reserves this year. It's not like there's a whole lot of guys who shouldn't be able to beat out there. A Whole lot of true freshmen and, and redshirt freshmen on this roster. Should also note, uh, since we didn't really do a formal like like who left thing, they uh, Jalen Parks has also been, med- been medically retired, unfortunately. And, and you know we're big fans of Jalen and, and wish his career. Could have gone differently, but it is a good example of, of why you do have to recruit so many so many defensive linemen and so many linemen in general because football is just it's tough, man. You can almost argue that next year they might have might have better depth at the position, potentially, but I think the the upside might not be quite as high. But this year I, I um well we should probably talk a little bit about um about floor ceiling of this interior group before we move on to, to the edge rushers.
0: Ceiling? Uh, ceiling is that you have um, one of the better better groups. I don't know one of the better groups in the country, but you've got a top uh, 12 group, I would say. Uh, you have Wilson, who plays his way from where, in my opinion, he's currently a day two draft pick, and uh, maybe he gets into a first-round conversation. Durden continues to merge and maybe plays himself in, into a day two draft pick. uh, I think you've got some great pieces here. Wilson is, in my opinion, the best player on the roster. And Cooper is emerging into uh, a real solid player in his own right. If one of these guys, two of these guys on the reserves starts to emerge, starts to uh, give you legitimate rotation here, then, yeah, I think you've got a a really nice unit to work around and uh, maybe one of the top 12 uh, or so units in all the country.
1: Yeah, I think the ceiling is best in the ACC among interior linemen. Hmm. Really? Okay. Just among the interior linemen. I'm not counting defensive ends in this. But you know, Clemson did lose a a whole lot. Uh, Miami already has an injury to N- Nesta Silvera, right? Who we don't know how long he's going to be out. But he was our guy they were they were kind of counting on. And look, I think Clemson's going to be good in, inside. So would I pick them to be better? No, I I, I wouldn't. But it's not. It's not insane to me to think that Florida State could ceiling, like if everything goes right, if they all stay healthy, if they all play together right, have the best interior defensive lineman in the ACC. And that would be a hell of a thing because that means you're probably getting the ball back pretty quickly. You know, Most teams don't throw the ball well enough to sustain 12, and 13, 14 play drives uh, just by chucking the ball around. And if these guys are – like, if they, all play, if they all three play to their ceiling and stay healthy – they're stopping the run pretty well, because they're really going to be disruptive up front. The floor, however, is is pretty low, I, I think, actually. like like The floor of this is definitely bottom half of the league. If you it, And when I talk about floor, I, in my mind, I'm like, OK, what if maybe somebody doesn't play that well, and somebody else gets hurt, and you really have to dip into your depth here? There's a lot of guys who I, I may trust to give me 100, 150, maybe 200 snaps over the course of the year. I definitely don't trust him to give me five, 600 snaps. And if those guys have to play, the drop-off, in my opinion, is, is pretty significant. So the, the range here is not a real tight range for me. It's, it's, it's a pretty wide range of possible outcomes. But, but I do lean towards it being uh, one of the better interior defensive lines in the ACC, although not the best
0: take this time to thank our friends over at Madison Social for the uh, support they've given us since the inception of the NoCast and also want to thank you the listener. Proud to announce that we're not talking about selling any more tickets, uh, in fact they've all sold out for the Jacksonville tailgate. So just an incredible response from our listeners and uh, just the community in general. Want to thank you for the support that you've given our sponsors in general but particularly on this one Uh, we're fortunate to be able to work with people like madison social and matt and his team and uh you guys are put your put your trust in great hands uh hospitality professionals uh and we all look forward to meeting end of august and uh, enjoying a sold-out tailgate and beginning of the football season
1: almost three thousand tickets no cast listeners y'all are awesome you recognize a great product and for those of y'all who didn't get tickets we're we are really sorry, but but we can't say we didn't tell you. We've been promoting this all summer, and it's going to be a blast. We'll see you there.
0: All right, bud. You want to move to kind of the edge position at this point, and we'll look at uh, what players Florida State will try to, uh, try to minimize the loss of Brian Burns as much as possible. Uh, Burns, uh, either 9.5 or 10 sacks last year, depending on where you look. Uh, what, 16th overall pick to the Panthers. Uh, massive player elite talent better against the run than maybe he originally looked uh but just a pass rush extraordinaire uh you lost burns you also lost a, a pretty significant player with a uh, a very large amount of potential don't want to try to sugarcoat it at all xavier peters uh decides to head back to uh, his home state of kentucky and uh, florida state's looking to repeat uh, replace one major piece and uh, one other piece who could have blossomed into a pretty significant lineman in his own right.
1: I guarantee you when they signed him that they thought that Peters would be the guy to replace Brian Burns, right? Okay, this would be his second year. Ultimately, things did not work out. We knew there was a risk involved in that signing. It was a chance that they decided to take. And look, to be honest, it's a chance that I would have taken as well. And even in hindsight, I still would have taken that chance because you need the ability – to try and get that elite talent into the program that, that really needs it, um, they've had some just recruiting busts and recruiting misses in recent years at the defensive end position. Uh, but yeah, Burns, I mean, with over a third of the team sacks, is that's a that's a pretty big deal, right? Not a lot of guys in the nation had that. Also had three force fumbles, fifty percent havoc rate. He actually his his percentage of team havoc was fourteen which is almost double of anybody else and uh, that that's, that's pretty awesome like for everybody it's like oh he didn't uh, he didn't impact the game that much yeah yeah he did and like you there's a chance you might see just how much he impacted the game come this year <laughs> that's a big deal but we do think that they have some chance of getting some pass rush here and I think it's got to start with a guy at the Jack linebacker position, which is kind of more that bigger linebacker who occasionally will put his hand in the dirt. And that's Josh Kando. Cause look, Josh Kando, we talk about potential and, and former five-star recruits and, and top 10 recruits in the country. Kendo's a guy on that roster. And there's a lot of ifs here, right? Cause he's definitely been developmentally delayed as far as not mentally. I'm not using that term like that, but like, as far as his career, all these injuries have set him back. He is nowhere near what any of us thought he would be as a junior. But can you get what we thought Josh Kando might be as like a, a sophomore? Like, Can we get like second year projected out of high school career, Josh Kando, to where he's able to make some kind of impact? The guy's like 6'6", 250-something, 260-something, we know he still has pretty good athleticism. He's just not developed because he's not been able to practice very much in his career. He's kind of always been hurt. He was hurt a bunch of last year, wasn't able to really do much. If if this group is able to achieve a good pass rush, I think Josh Josh Kendo is going to be a, big, a really big part of that. I, I know you're a pretty big fan of him coming out of high school as well.
0: Yeah, he was a great victory uh, on the recruiting trail for Florida State. And it's one of the guys that when you sign, you kind of uh, – you didn't necessarily pencil him in as being Mario Edwards jr or anything else, but gave you optimism to, uh, continue to dominate the line of scrimmage. And that just hasn't come to fruition. So hopefully, uh, Kane does as your, as you said, certainly has lost, uh, some of his develop uh, kind of his cycle of development. Hopefully he can make the most of it. A talented kid. Um, and look, generous Robinson isn't a carbon copy by any man, but also, a uh, A really talented uh, kid, physically gifted, big, large recruit. Had to beat uh, Alabama, Georgia, and others for him. And um, just hadn't quite come together uh, for Robinson either. There's been some moments uh, where he looks to be a player. Looks like the light may be coming on. But up until now, uh, Kando and and Robinson are both kind of uh, frustrations, in my opinion, that you haven't been able to get more out of uh, two guys that are obviously very physically gifted.
1: It really is kind of a carbon copy career, career-driven-wise, right? Like, neither of these guys are anywhere near what you thought they would have been uh, as as third- and, and fourth-year players in the program. Or is, yeah, Robinson's a – is he a true junior or is, or is he a, a true senior? I'm trying to think of what year. Uh, he was in the Malik Henry class, I believe.
0: Yeah, I believe so.
1: That sounds right. Look, can, can you get – Can you get some solid run defense and a little bit of pass rush out of these guys? Because these guys are going to be the dudes who are asked to set the edge a little bit more. They're they're the the bigger guys of the outside backer position. So in addition to rushing the passer, they're also going to be an integral part of the run defense. I, I think you can get Janarius Robinson to set the edge. I don't know what we'll get out of him as a pass rusher, but I think he could be a solid number two outside backer for you, especially against the run. What you really need here, though, is for Kendo to to play well and and to give you something both against the run and the pass and and look anything close to what his potential was um, coming out out of out of high school because he really was a pretty special prospect in high school. I, mean, I remember watching LeVar Arrington just just absolutely lose his lose his stuff looking at at Josh Kendo rush the passer in that Under Armour practice week, and, and he just has not been able to stay healthy. But if he can, then he's a dude who I think is a, a natural bender. He has good length. I like this first step coming out of high school relative to his size. He has some tools that the, that the other guys on his roster don't have. We'll also see this group drop back a little bit in pass coverage. There's no doubt. Not like, hey, let's cover guys deep down the field, but this is a good way to, to keep offenses off balance. You see a guy like Josh Kendo. And you're going to set your protection, and you're probably assuming that guy's coming. And most of the time, you're right. He'll be rushing the passer most of the time, but not all the time. And and on those times where you assume he's coming, and you're an offensive lineman, you're looking over there, and it turns out he bluffs and he's dropping back, well, you may not recover in time to get somebody else, maybe a, a, a Jaden Woodby or something, crashing in on the blitz. And I, I think that's what Florida State is hoping for. We also have uh, Derek McClendon, who I think is going to get some reps on the outside. there, potentially at this position too. He's a guy who I've heard some positive things about. Not just like, hey, he's ready to be an impact guy for us this year, but just kind of a, hey, we we think we we got a hit here as far as him being a solid recruit and somebody who we're going to be able to count on down the line. And and he may be able to give you you some contribution this year. We'll just have to see. But I I do think the – pass rush if you just want to talk about pure pass rusher is gonna like the speedy guy around the edge is going to come from the other side resolution home loans is proud to be a sponsor of the nolcast for yet another year and to help bring you the season preview episodes and hopefully make your august a little more enjoyable they're also here to help you find a good home loan mine is through resolution almost 30 nolcast listeners have now used resolution home loans to find their mortgage that's the key. Working with Shannon Young, great customer service, great rates. He'll walk through the process. Eight four four FSU Loan, or visit Loans dot com.
0: Yeah, that's it's good to hear about McClendon. He was a guy that uh, there were some some whispers around uh, that maybe he was a tweener, and, and that was not a uh, not a positive description of him. So. Uh, uh, well coached kid out of a program I've talked a lot about here in the Metro Atlanta area. Uh, great to hear that it sounds like he's uh, at least acclimated himself well. And uh, you talked about what you might get from the other side. Uh, the Main three guys here, in my opinion, are uh, Leonard Winner, uh, Leonard Winner, uh, Lenard Warner, Amari Gaynor, and Josh Brown. Uh, Brown is a, a guy who's kind of running out of eligibility here. Uh, somebody a prospect signed out of North Carolina. That I think we were both pretty pretty optimistic. Thought that that was somebody that could see early playing time. Uh, never came to fruition. Uh, Gainers, a local prospect that uh, a lot of people will be familiar with, a guy who appears to be uh, pretty physically talented and maybe the best athlete of these three. Uh, Warner's a metro Atlanta prospect, uh, well coached kid, uh, somebody that you'd see occasionally uh, drop into drop into coverage and not be maybe quite the liability that you would associate with a linebacker. So interesting skill sets here, and uh, I'll be honest with you guys, I'd, I'm not really sure what you'll get out of this position. Not, I'm not doubting the talent. Uh, it's just hard for me to project exactly uh, what any three of these guys will, uh, will be able to bring immediately.
1: Extremely fair. Extremely fair. I think anybody who tells you they know exactly what's gonna do you, what you're going to get out of this position is probably lying to you. Now I can tell you some individual skills, right? I know they like Leonard Warner. They, they like they like his hustle. They like his ability to rush the passer. He actually has some pass rush moves, which is solid. That's going to be really needed. I also think he's a guy who can can take on a block some and and, and hold up there. And and is a pretty, I think he's a pretty smart football player. Um, now, also what I want to see him is is a little bit quicker to trigger and, and diagnose the run and be a little bit more physical on the outside, but I think he could give you something as a pass rusher. Amari Gaynor, like we know what this is about. It's about quickness off the edge. Amari Gaynor is going to be too quick, I think, and this is me telling you what's going to happen after I just told you that don't believe people are going to tell you this is exactly what's going to happen like two two seconds ago. But there will likely be some games in which Gaynor, if he's healthy, is too quick for opposing offensive tackles. And there will be some games in which He's not always too quick, but but he'll be able to win with quickness off the edge. You know, Josh Brown, I who knows, man. Uh, I, I do think that, look, if you're in a program where it's obvious, like the head coach is checked out, you need to have that motivation and really the love of football and and the want to go work out and do it yourself. And And if you're not being put – and look, a lot of these guys need to be pushed. Some guys have that natural drive to push. And I don't know that everybody has that. I'd, I'd be interested to see what Brown's career looked like if he was with, you know, Taggart the whole time or with Jimbo, like starting in, in 2010, as, as opposed to, you know, starting in this program when he did. Because basically when, when he started, not due to his own fault, but when he started, things had st- kind of started to go downhill behind the scenes a little bit. I Other reserves at this position. It's I mean that that's that's three deep. That's that's I think we listed off off a pretty good number. Um, but man, I don't know. Like this is this is tough. Do you want to go floor ceiling here? Cause, I mean, what do you what do you think? This is this is tough to say.
0: Uh, floor. No, we'll go ceiling. We'll, we'll keep it uh, keep it consistent there. <sighs> Ceiling is that maybe Kane does a, uh, a, like a second to third team all-conference player. Uh, Robinson emerges, shows some of the potential he's had. Uh, Leonard Warner provides you with a pretty significant level of consistency and Gaynor uh, gives you the flash plays that uh, the position maybe otherwise doesn't have currently. So um, I don't know, maybe you know, maybe one of the three best units uh, in the conference. But again, this position is kind of hard to identify and compare uh, with a whole lot of other people because the different way that defenses are set up and what different people ask of these players.
1: I, I, think, that's, I think that's right. Like, I, I really wouldn't add a lot to that with the exception that I think the, you know, one of the reasons why I'm kind of like down a little bit on On FSU's tackle, like offensive tackle prospects this year, is simply because like the league lost a lot at defensive tackle. It it really didn't lose very much at at defensive end, right? Like, Q still has the best defensive defensive ends in the league, I think, or Clemson and Miami with with Garvin and and Rousseau and, and those dudes. Like, I don't think there's any chance Florida State catches those three. Um, I think NZ State should still be pretty decent at, at defensive end. You know, kind of edge rusher types. Now, Pitt is going to take a dip because Rashad Weaver, um, their best defensive end and, and one of the best defensive players in the entire like, country, to be honest. He tore, uh, I think his Achilles and is out for the year. And UVA should have some pretty good edge rushers as well. I, I think the ceiling is is top half of the league, no doubt maybe like top third of the league you might like this group a little bit more than i do as far as its ceiling um but that could just be a function of me perhaps not agreeing with the likelihood of hitting the ceiling which is really not fair right like ceiling should be ceiling within reason how about floor Uh, how how low can you go on 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 this one
0: uh floor is a nasty picture i mean uh Kando continues to struggle with uh, injuries and consistency. Uh, Robinson, I think maybe there's a small amount of self doubt there. I'm not sure. I shouldn't play, uh, you know, armchair, uh, armchair sports psychologist, but, uh, Robinson doesn't blossom at all. Uh, gainer is maybe becomes a little bit too predictable and Warner is a, a nice player, but not really a, a difference maker. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, you've the this, the floor here is that you've merged the quote unquote speed bumps with uh, a bunch of a bunch of edge players who historically haven't been able to give you much pressure at all.
1: Yeah, um, and my concern is that I don't think the like I don't know that they're that much closer to their ceiling than their floor on this in terms of likelihood. Right now, the most likely element is going to be in the middle somewhere. But like at some of these positions, I'm thinking, well, I think they're a lot closer to their ceiling than their floor, most likely, as far as what we described. And I don't know that's the case here at edge rusher. This is kind of kind of up in the air for me. But it's a position that if Florida State's going to overachieve, if they're going to if they're going to win eight nine ball games in a regular season, I think that this, this is an area you can point to and say, hey, a lot of these computer things that I think they're going to go six and six and it'll only be a game better than last year. I don't think they're accounting for the defensive ends enough right i don't think they're accounting for these guys rushing off the edge enough and maybe those folks will be right we're excited to be doing these previews and we're excited to tell you about travis johnson attorney at law travis johnson is one of two only 280 board certified family law attorneys in the state of florida that's out of 110,000 licensed attorneys in florida there are a lot of them he's one of the best av rated he's on super lawyers he's taught university classes He's presented at CLEs. He has a statewide practice based in Pensacola, but will come to you anywhere you need in the state. From a small family law matter to big complex family law litigation, he's there for you. Also very experienced in in appellate work. But remember, appellate work with family law can be difficult to win. Travis wants you to win the first time, 850-435-9919, to get experienced, quality family law representation. Travis Johnson of Law.com. All right,
0: bud. We'll take this chance to switch over, look at another one of our opponent previews. Today's going to be NC State, a team that kind of just feels like it's making a little bit of progress each year, been a thorn in Florida State's side, both historically and recently, and um, a team that just quite honestly embarrassed Florida State last year. Everybody looks at the Clemson game, and deservedly so, NC State just... Beat the hell out of Florida State last year, and, and uh, uh, kind of a disturbing directional trend as to what these programs have been doing over the past two or three years. Meaning, NC State's direction and Florida State's direction.
1: There's no doubt, man. I mean, they really uh, they they took it to them. Forty-seven twenty-eight. It that game got away from them. It, it it was, and NC State had a big advantage in in, in a number of areas, right? First of all, the, the one that really sticks out to me was field position in that game. NC State started at their own 42. Florida State started at their own 23. So basically call it like a 20-yard advantage every time the ball changed hands. And the ball changed hands 13 times. So you're looking at like 260 yards of field position difference, which is, I mean, a a ton of yards there. Um, James Blackman... Did play in this game, obviously did not play all that well, but not you – know, it wasn't like terrible, terrible. He took a lot of sacks. Florida State's offensive line was was not great. Uh, he, he did throw an interception. Interestingly, on passing downs, he, he was kind of okay, surprisingly. But overall, NC State much better up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, and they, I thought they pushed around Florida State's defensive line. I thought they out coached Florida State in this game. And then the thing that kept happening in basically every game against somebody with pulse, Florida State's offensive line up front uh, just just largely got whipped. Uh, they had 1.79 uh, line yards per carry. That's I mean really really bad. The, the line yards per carry for uh, for NC State, a good bit higher. And uh, just man, that was. That was bad. So this year, I think there's potentially a, a, a different story coming, uh, and I think people will, will be excited to hear about that. A couple reasons why. Number one, I've really had a lot of respect for NC State's offensive coordinator, Eli Drinkwitz. He's no longer there. We just talked to uh, – if you've heard this one already, we've already, we've already talked about how Scott Satterfield – left Appalachian State to become the head coach at Louisville. Well, the new head coach of Appalachian State is one, Mr. Eli Drinkwitz. He is gone, and uh, with him, I think a good amount of the creativity. They're replacing him with George McDonald and also the running backs coach as uh, uh, Kitchens, Des Kitchens, as, as the new co-offensive coordinators. And I'm just going to be honest with you all, I, I feel like that is a step down in them. I've talked to some other people, and they're like, ooh, yeah, that's – that's kind of a loss. Not that NC State is all of a sudden going to be awful on offense, but I, I do think that they, they lose a little bit there. You know who else they lose? Pretty damn good college quarterback and a good, good answer to a very good trivia question. Who is the only graduate transfer to start three seasons at the school to which he transferred?
0: Uh, that would be something that keeps, uh, keeps his name in circulation a little bit.
1: Because he graduated from Boise in just two years,
0: yeah, a guy who could put put the ball in tight windows, ton of confidence in his arm, uh, a player they're going to miss a lot.
1: I mean, I, I really think
0: they will. Uh, last year, their offense was 29th
1: nationally in S and P. An interesting breakdown. So they were 20th in success rate, 89th in in explosiveness. And Finley was damn good. Uh, he was. Almost 68% completions. He only took 11 sacks, which is incredible uh, for for how often. I mean, 484 pass attempts, 11 sacks, a sack rate of 2.2%. And and to be sure, their O-line was good. And we'll talk about their O-line here in a minute. But, man, I got to tell you, like, a lot of that was him getting rid of the ball extremely quickly. 11 interceptions, a couple of those were clustered in certain games. A 9.2% marginal efficiency, which is pretty good. 7.8 per attempt, including the sacks. Again, really good. I I know he's in the NFL now. He may not have the most impressive physical tools in in the nation, but I think they're going to miss Ryan Finley a a good bit. I'm not saying their other guys are not any good, but I'm pretty confident saying they're going to have a step down.
0: Good decisions, quick decisions, and Finley would – Finley was as smart as anybody that Florida state saw last year at making a decision between say eight and 15 yards down the field. And he would just, uh, he would, he would kill you, uh, consistent player that you don't find that frequently. Uh, so, uh, a big loss there. Uh, it's interesting just from a, a, more broader macro perspective, I don't want to get us off track, but th- it's kind of a two storylines of a program that's been built, uh, Consistently, has uh, achieved two nine-win seasons. Uh, Dorn's done a real good job, but also a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty in general about some of the pieces that they're going to have. And basically, you've got a pretty much a complete turnover when it comes to your offensive pieces that we're talking about.
1: Absolutely, it, it really is. Um, they, they've lost a, a good bit off this offense. Now, the three candidates to play the quarterback position: Matthew McKay is probably the biggest and the strongest of these guys. He's listed 6'4", 210. If you look at the photos of him that I've been able to see online, he looks bigger than that. He did get to play some uh, last year. Decent runner. We'll see about the passing. He was actually 7 of 8 last year. I mean, the sample set is is not uh, not you know something we can judge people off. But I think he's probably the favorite for the job. Not as good of a passer as Ryan Finley. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, but somebody who I think you're going to see run the ball more. And probably, I think that matches up somewhat well with the philosophies of of the new coordinators, who also might want to look to go a little bit more tempo, by the way. So that's something I'm going to look out for. Sometimes NC State would go tempo, but they wouldn't really like go tempo-tempo, and that sounds crazy. But what I mean is like they, they would go really fast up to the line just so the defense couldn't substitute, and then they would take their time. This year i think they might go to the line a little faster and then snap the ball a little bit quicker there are two candidates though pretty interesting guys one is named devin leary devin leary has an extremely strong arm he's listed 6'2, 195 i would kind of think like more six foot and a half but whatever uh he was an elite 11 kid i liked him a lot really big arm how much the offense really grasped is his release release point going to be consistent but He's certainly going to be in contention for the job, at least as of the time of this recording. And then there's a guy named Bailey Hockman. Oh, Bailey. Yeah. He was here last year. Then he transferred and sat out. And uh, he's in NC State this year competing for the job. I think Bailey Hockman, I don't think his arm was healthy last year. Some of the throws that we heard about out of camp just seemed like, like they didn't have juice on him. And uh, I'm interested to see what he can do there. But if I had to bet – Right now, I'd probably put my money on Matthew McKay, and it's going to be interesting to see how Florida State defends them. This is really a, a new offense with new personnel. I don't know how much we can lean on last year, I, personally. They also have a major changeover at running back.
0: Yeah, a big piece there that uh, goes missing. Uh, Gillespie was a a really good back. Uh, again, a consistent uh, player that they could give the ball to. Also had some ability to, to pop uh, a big run every once in a while. Uh, a place that they've recruited fairly well. You'd be better versed at uh, confirming that than I would. Uh, but maybe not a, uh, a standout piece that we can identify either as to exactly who's going to take these responsibilities.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, Ricky Person – maybe the front runner. He was a pretty highly rated recruit um, and somebody I know they've, they've been kind of waiting on to, to get it together a, a little bit more and, and also to stay healthy. I would guess they lean on him, but he's not as proven as, as, as Gillespie was. Certainly his, his success rate last year 44%. Marginal efficiency was actually negative. Marginal explosiveness was actually a little bit negative. And he had a fumble in, in limited carries. So We'll see. There's definitely a chance he breaks out, but I'm not 100% uh, you know convinced that he will. I am kind of interesting to see what are interested to see what they do uh, at at receiver. Like they have two pretty big dudes
0: to, to replace here uh two really big losses when you're looking at uh kelvin Harmon and, and jacoby myers uh leaving i mean when you go back and you look at their stats those are two guys that went what north of a thousand yards uh, 120 just under 120 coach uh targets for both of them uh 80 catches for Harmon, 90 for myers uh yeah when you look at when you look at what was accomplished last year uh you take those two out and there's there's some questions as to where the production comes from
1: so they're really excited about Kerry Angeline, who's a transfer. Uh, this is a guy that Tim Brewster actually really loved as a recruit, and they, they had him in, in camp, I believe, and, and it was all about him. Now, Tabari Hines, who's, who's a, a, a two-time transfer, I believe Wake Forest and Oregon, is somebody who they'll they'll be counting on to, to step up. Uh, they also lost Stephen Lewis, who you know was okay for them last year. I think Ameka. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this kid's name so bad. Ameka Imeze? We we cool with that?
0: Looks looks like a good effort.
1: Okay. He's somebody who I believe David Hale and a couple other ACC people have written about as far as that staff saying they liked a lot. And so I'll uh, i I'm gonna guess he he steps into the top receiver role last year. 80 targets, 53 catches. Some some good efficiency numbers there. So potentially uh, this could be a decent unit and i know there's a lot of optimism about this unit and good expectations man i'm just i'm not totally sold that this unit doesn't take a step back i mean harbin and myers were how often do you lose two receivers who both had 80 like who were both 81,000 guys it's for an offense that threw the ball a lot but not like a not like an air raid a lot
0: no i mean major challenge uh Emeka stands out just cuz he's 6'3", 210. He looks like a he looks like a a guy that could play on Sundays. CJ Riley's another guy that's going to pass the eyeball test. Uh, they've got some nice pieces uh that you mentioned and uh I don't know. You're just you're right. When you look at the production, you look at the change of quarterback, I think there's uh some reason and and also as you mentioned, maybe some of the the more creative uh, brain, <laughs> the brain trust behind some of this offense uh, that, yeah, you could, you could reasonably expect uh, NC State to perform at a maybe a significantly lower level than they did on offense last year.
1: And we haven't even talked about the spot where they might have the second most losses, right? Gone is the best center in the nation and Garrett Bradbury, who was a first-round pick, I believe. Gone is uh, Tyrone Prescord, who was an All-American in 2018. And gone is tackle Tyler Jones, who was uh, first-team All ACC. Now, they feel pretty good about how they how they have recruited and developed this position, and they feel good about their strength program as they should, because that is a hell of a strength program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but look, I'm not totally convinced that we don't have a drop off coming here, and and maybe a decent drop off. That I mean you're losing three NFL types on the offensive line at a place like NC State.
0: I don't I, I mean you, even you can even extend this to Alabama. You tell me that you lose the best player at his position uh an all-American in the country. lines up next to him and a left tackle that was your first team all conference. I don't care who you are. You're going to you're going to suffer a fallback, and it's good they're confident in their strength conditioning program as they should be. Good for them. They take it seriously. Um but you'd you, Nobody replaces that and doesn't suffer a a fall off, a pretty significant one. And uh, label me even more skeptical that a a school like NC State doesn't suffer a real noticeable setback.
1: Oh, and the uh, the old line coach is gone. Like we said, he's now the OC at Louisville. Yeah, I'm expecting a step back on the offense here. Uh, If Florida State's going to win this game, it's going to win this game because it makes NC State's offense – Take a step back, like we think this this offense should take a step back. Defensively, i i i think uh, i think NC State has a chance to be as good or better than it was last year. Last year it was fifty fourth; they were a little bit underachieving relative to their talent level, probably. But there there are some reasons to think there could be a, a bit of a step up here.
0: They've, uh, they've lost some, some really talented kids. Uh, Bradley Chubb, somebody that this fan base will be more than familiar with, number five pick in 2018. Lost some high draft picks in the 17th draft. Uh, but Pratt is the kid that they lost uh, last year. He was, what, a third-round pick? And Justin Jones was a, a fourth-round pick. So, uh, And then the street kid was a, a, either a fifth- or sixth-round pick. So some nice pieces here that have left. And, uh, again, some some places that you're going to have to find production that uh, you were able to fall on uh, last year. And uh, I'm not sure the pieces that you're plugging in are, are nearly as good as what you previously worked with.
1: So one of the things that they struggled with last year was when they blitzed, they, they were not very good at actually affecting the quarterback, right? It was basically either sack or big play allowed. They didn't seem to do a good job of getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands Quickly. Now, Florida State did uh, did not um, encounter this very much because they didn't have to blitz against Florida State. <laughs> they just very intelligently rushed four guys. I think this year, Florida State should be a little bit better on the offensive line. It would be hard for them not to be. And uh, they may be able to force NC State to blitz a little bit more up front. This is still probably the, the area of the of the game which nc state has the biggest advantage though right that they have a very good strength program laurel merch excuse me laurel murchison is very big and strong james smith williams the same uh mcneil i think played a little bit last year actually against fsu up front Uh, they they have decent depth up front not maybe incredible but they should pretty much dominate the run again like they did last year and we'll see about their pass rush ability but This is a game where I think Florida State does have the opportunity – not opportunity, that's that's kind of a weird word to say there. It does present the potential for Florida State to get kind of overwhelmed up front from a physical standpoint. Now, can they actually get to the quarterback? This may be a game where Florida State has to end up throwing the ball a lot because I I would probably give the the pretty strong checkmark advantage to NC State in terms of the run game. I I think they'll still be really good up front against the run. Isaiah Moore and Brock Miller – have a lot of experience as well. They, they've started a number of games. I think they should be pretty good still at the linebacker spot. And that kind of leaves one for me that I'm not I'm not totally sold on for some reason. That this team should have been a lot better in the secondary in terms of not allowing big pass plays uh, than than it has been. And yet, a couple of years in a row, they have failed to failed to stop those big pass plays. This is now or never for them. Five seniors, two juniors in the two D. I think you, you have to project that they're going to be better simply on experience. I know that sounds crazy because they really haven't improved that much year to year over the last two. Some, but maybe not as much as their fans and uh, independent observers would have thought. This has got to be the year they, they make a leap, right? I, I think they should be pretty good relative to where they've been in, in the secondary.
0: As you mentioned, ton of experience uh, there, everybody, but basically Dexter Wright is back for them you would think that the, that you'd get a pretty high level of play uh, out of your secondary, and you're right. If there's a, a big jump for them, this is when it has to be. Uh, if it doesn't occur, it won't uh, take place because there's not a you know an idea or an understanding of what everybody's being asked to do. Uh, NC State, this is a, the most predictable area of the team as far as what they have and talent returning, and uh, it'll be something that they're looking forward to make a pretty big jump if they're going to have a successful season this year.
1: Exactly right. Uh, they're going to need the defense to carry them. Yeah, uh, schedule-wise, now this is this could be an interesting wagering opportunity for Florida State fans. Assuming FSU comes into the end this game with with just one loss, uh, I I think NC State has has a real chance to come into Tallahassee undefeated. West Virginia, I'm projecting to take a large step back this year. They also get East Carolina, West Carolina, and Ball State before they come to Tallahassee. Florida State, meanwhile goes Virginia, Louisville, NC State, bye, and then Clemson after the bye. So from that perspective, I, there's really no look-ahead opportunity here. You're not looking ahead to the bye. You're probably going to go pretty all out because you know you need to win this game. Not that you wouldn't uh, go all out, go out anyway, but like you're probably not holding a lot of guys back due to injury because you do get the bye week the following week. Uh, I I would If I had to project, I, I would be fairly confident – in a Florida State win in this game. And that's probably the most confident I can be in terms of Florida State win as far as of the group of games in which last year FSU got their doors blown off. And, and they really did get dominated last year in this one. So I, I'm i feeling fairly good about this. I, I think in my own personal projections, I have it at like, like, uh, I think 75 78%. Fairly
0: high. This is a game that uh... – You know, we've kind of talked about, well, what if you're eight and four and your losses are to uh, Miami, Florida, Clemson, and some other solid program, maybe Syracuse? You need to win this game. Uh, this, This is one of the games that you need to capture. NC State doesn't need to float around and establish itself as a more successful program, but you don't want to let them stack a winning streak against you. Take advantage of this. There's some questions as to what they have in a lot of pieces here and uh, this is a game that Florida State should win, and it would, be a, would, would maybe be a, a little bit of a canary in the coal mine that you're going to have some, some situations and some problems and some uncomfortable conversations if, uh, if this game doesn't go their way. Absolutely. You know, we talk about how important the, the, the opener is, and that's absolutely true. This, this is one of the games within the schedule that you circle and you need to win. It's, it's very meaningful as to what you're going to build here.
1: Particularly, because look who's coming after the bye week, right? Like, if you lose this game, and then you have to go play, you got a bye week, so everybody's going to be mad over the course of the bye week because the team's coming off a loss still. And then you got to go to Clemson, and there's a pretty good chance you lose that by five touchdowns or more. Hmm, that that could be tough. That that, that could be very tough. <laughs> don't lo- don't lose this game. Yep,
0: got to win this one.